Soccer is, as we all know, the world's game, and it's played by billions and watched by billions around the world. And everybody thinks that they have a say, and that could be anything as small as I think they should make this change. Obviously, the players or the people at the top of clubs make the decisions, but fans do play an important role. And today I'm joined by Matt Jones, who is a writer at World Soccer Talk and the host of the Blue Room podcast. And as usual, Kartik Krishnayar, who, as you all know, is a writer also at World Soccer Talk. And Matt, I want to ask you a quick question. Obviously, you know everything that's going on at Everton. And uh, unfortunately, it's been a rough couple of weeks there, especially following the sacking of Rafael Benitez and everything that's kind of transpired since then. And obviously in the, in the stands at Goodison Park, everyone's trying to voice their own opinions. And we see signs that say sack the board, change how the club is run. Can you talk about just what's going on at Everton and the reaction of the fans over the last couple of weeks as things have kind of taken a, a turn for the worse? Yeah, so what's going on with the fans at the moment? It feels like it's an accumulation of, of what's happened over the last six years under Farhad Mashiri's tenure, really, because when he came in, there was a feeling and the hope that Everton being in, in a solid position with solid foundations built by David Moyes, that with that extra funding, we could go on and, and become a, a force in the Premier League. And Everton, Everton has spent around £550 million on players since Farhad Mashiri got involved in the club almost six years ago. And they've got worse and worse. It's seemingly every pound spent. So I think people are just getting a little bit frustrated now. Um, I think obviously in the summer, Every single person who knows anything about football could have told you that Rafael Benitez was the wrong appointment for this football club and exactly how this was going to end up. Um, apart from the person that matters at the top of the football club in Farhad Mashiri. And I think over the, the last the last few months, certainly, with the team not playing well, there's been a bit of a harder look, I'd say, at the structure of the football club. Because we've had a situation there where Marcel Brands, the director of football, was handed a new contract in the summer. Um, but he was sacked in December, seemingly with Farhad Mashiri giving the keys of the castle to Rafael Benitez. Uh, Luca Dean was moved on, having fallen out with Rafael Benitez. It seemed as though Benitez had won the argument in that sense. And then three days later, after Everton lose against Norwich, Benitez himself is sacked. So I think what's happened at the moment is that there's all that's left is Farhad Mashiri. There's a few people on the board who were close to him and a big pile of rubble of where a, a once great football club used to stand. And, and fans are starting to get fed up of it now. And I think the anger is, is directed to, towards the board, what's left of it, because Everton have only got four people on the board at the moment. And it's also directed towards the owner, Farhad Mashiri. And certainly in, in recent days, this loom inspector of Kiyoshi Rabachan, who, of course, has been a key figure in the demise of a lot of great football clubs, and you know, has, has been around a lot of football for a lot of really dodgy dealings that have gone on in the past. He was in the director's box at Goodison Park on Saturday against Aston Villa and is seemingly becoming an increasingly reliable confidant for Farhad Mashiri. So there's a lot of people and a lot of reasons and a lot of layers for all this, but Everton fans aren't happy and they're trying to get the message across in, in the best way they can, as, as you saw at the end of the game on Saturday. Yeah, man, I want to talk to you about uh, Kia Jarabchian. Uh, you just mentioned he was in the director's box. Do you think as an Everton fan and someone who understands the supporters there, is there any kind of indication that having someone like Kia Drabchian could take away from the Everton supporters' voice in their in the direction of the club going down the road? I think it's a massive problem. And I think it's it's something that's been been the case for a while. And Farhad Mashiri has, has relied on Kia Drabchian and his advice for, for, for a long time now. Now you go back to when Everton signed Richarlison, I think he was very involved in that deal. And I imagine if Richarlison moves on in the summer, then there'll be, you know 
I don't know this for certain, but I imagine there'll be certain stipulations and certain potentials that go the way of, of that agent. He was heavily involved in the other took Hamas Rodriguez to Everton in the summer as well. And he was there present when Everton, Everton interviewed Rafael Benitez in the summer for the job. And we're talking about somebody here who was not employed by Everton Football Club in any way, shape or form. And yet he seems to have the, the ear and the backing of of the um, of the owner. And that's that's really worrying. And, and like I said, you, you, all you have to do is look back through through all the through a, well, a large number of the, the clubs that, that this fellow's been involved in. You know, you think about QPR and the way in which they would run into the ground based on based on players being recommended by Girabachin. Arsenal, who signed Willian up to a three hundred thousand pound a week uh, three year contract at the age of I think thirty two. You know, there's, there's an endless list that I'm not, not going to go down. And the worrying thing is is that Farhad Machinery seems to have got rid of everybody at the football club who would be willing to tell him no or to stop and think about things. And because there's nobody left, he's relying more and more on this fella. And you see reports linking someone like Vitor Pereira with the job in the last 24 hours. Again, a person who was effectively taken to 1860 Munich on the back of Kier uh, broker in that deal. So he's becoming a, an increasingly worrying inspector around Goodison Park. And it, like I said, I think the protests that are going on and the fan groups that are trying to initiate change at Goodison Park are starting to focus their attention a lot more on him at the moment. Yeah, Carter, really quickly, yeah, go ahead, Drabshan. Uh, at QPR, it was a, uh, I would say, a five-year rebuild from the damage that he left. Uh, him and Mark Hughes, Mark Hughes, who uh, Sparky, who was very close to him, uh, just an incredible number of irresponsible signings that were made. Uh, summer uh, of. Uh, of, of 2012, 2012-2013 uh, season, QPR gets relegated. Durabshan continues to advise the club even after Hughes has gone uh, and loads them with even more guys for the, for the next return to the Premier League. And, and uh, it was talking to people who I speak to in the Rangers community uh, in West London. It was a five-year rebuild. So uh, let's hope Everton is not looking at that because uh, QPR got relegated. And they effectively have to clear the decks completely of those players. And that took, as I said, five years. Kartika, Kia Drabchian also has a history at the club. You follow Manchester City. Um, but that was before Manchester City was the dominant side that we all know today. Talking about that and his, his attempt to get Kaká over to Manchester City, he brought Rubinho over as well. Just how can he, you already mentioned QPR, what does he do that makes clubs kind of go downhill and really kind of turn the fans against the the club. Yeah, it all started at Corinthians, actually, in, in uh, the mid-2000s. And, and he brought, uh, after that, brought Carlos and Carlos Tevez and Javier Mascherano from um, Corinthians to West Ham United. And that created a cycle of events in England. Uh, as you mentioned, Tevez ends up uh, at Manchester City. Uh, Mark Hughes, uh, who was close to Durabchian, ends up as the manager. Now, now his hiring was unrelated to Jurabchian, but then that opened the door for Manchester City to be the the, the repository of all the Jurabchian uh, big money uh, clients, if you want to call them that, because uh, he he's uh, uh, he is now a registered agent. He wasn't at the time, uh, but a lot of these players, he is not their agent of record. So it's it's a it, it's a fuzzy situation. And what ended up happening is that uh, Manchester City decided they needed to clear uh, clear out everybody associated with Jurabshian. So that included Sean Wright Phillips, uh, unfortunately a, a personal favorite of mine, that included Neda Manua, who, who uh, uh, 
uh, we see now on uh, on television, really good pundit, and and on uh, radio on the Guardian uh, Football Weekly podcast from time to time, and then uh, of course uh, Mark Hughes among others, and Tevez. Uh, in QPR, we mentioned what happened. Arsenal, Matt, Matt is correct about that, and and several other kind of deals uh, on the continent. And um, Manchester City made a decision uh, as Tevez was being eased out of the club that they were going to rebuild the infrastructure in such a way to attract attract Pep Guardiola to the club, have a stable foundation, which I guess is easier to do when you've spent as much money as Manchester City had the previous few seasons and had some of these guys come in and out. But what you see now with Manchester City is a very stable club, a club that's gotten its wage bill more under control, and a club that doesn't um, doesn't make that many mistakes in the transfer market, actually doesn't make that many signings anymore. So that's what Everton has to aspire to be. I had thought when Mashiri bought Everton in 2017, I mean, historically were a bigger club than Manchester City or Chelsea, that the takeover would lead by within five years to them being uh, in the top top four and, and this uh, th- this massive club in terms of results. And we are now five years in and look at where we are. So I was wrong about that one. Um, but that goes back to Mashiri and, and Ken Wright's mistakes and trusting the wrong people. And uh, there's always been questions about Bill Kenwright's management uh, of as great a, um, a figure as he is on, on the British uh, uh, stage scene and as uh, great an Everton fan as he is. There's always been questions about his management of that football club. And now it's been compounded and complicated by all these other factors that Matt mentions. Matt, looking at the bigger picture, obviously Everton's protests are, are far from the, the first instance of fans protesting at games, after games, anything of the sort. But what are the realistic expectations for a club like Everton with these protests? Like, what are what are these fans trying to accomplish other than just saying we want change at the club? I think for the time being, and I, I can't speak for everybody on this because Everton is such a, a fractured fan base at the moment, and there are so many different people that seemingly want different things that you could speak to an other Evertonian and they might might say something different. But I get the sense at the moment it's just about drawing attention to it because I think. For a while, it's sort of been Everton have just drifted in the Premier League and have existed in the Premier League. And people have looked at Everton and, and sort of said, well, they're not very well run, but they'll always be there. They'll, they'll always, you know, just, just keep being Everton and staying in the you know, middle of the table, maybe bottom half of the table. But they'll always exist as sort of a presence in this Premier League. And I think it's only recently that, that people are trying to draw more more attention to it. And I think I think, it, I think that, that, has, that has definitely helped, you know. Over the past few weeks with the team not doing particularly well, there's been a lot more media requests for more fan groups to go on places like the BBC and and Sky and and BT Sport to sort of speak about this. And it feels like the the mainstream sport media over here is starting to wake up to that fact and the right sorts of questions are being asked by them. So that that in itself is a a positive thing. But I think all I want to see personally from, from Everton is competence. Uh, at every level. I, I want to see the owner make competent decisions and competent choices. And by that, I mean appointing people who he trusts, like a director of football, maybe Marcel Brands a few years ago, and then not get involved and not meddle with that person a bit further down the line, causing the rift that ultimately left it to Brands leaving. I want to see people on the board make competent decisions. In fairness to Everton, the one thing they've done really well over the past few years under Mashiri's tenure, is sort the stadium out. You know, that project is seemingly going very well. There's work undergoing there at the moment, but that's by the by. I want to see them make competent decisions on the manager. I want to see good 
players come through the door. That, that's all I want for the time being. I, I can't sit here at the moment with Everton having taken three, I think, well, I think it's six points from a possible 42 in the Premier League and say, I want to see Everton challenging for, for Europe or, or getting in Europe. That's, that's, that's dreamland at the moment. The club is so badly run and the squad is so far off that. But it, it's, it's ridiculous to sit here and say that. But they need to get to a level where they're just doing things well. Otherwise, you know, I mentioned that stadium there. We'll have the best stadium in the Championship. We're not going to have the best stadium in the Premier League or one of the, you know, or, or, or you know, look forward to all these nights against Liverpool and Manchester City and Manchester United down on that amazing arena on, on the waterfront. The first game that down there might be Reading at home or Nottingham Forest at home. They, they, they need to get their act together. Otherwise, the, the, the only way Everton are going at the moment is, is into the Championship because you can't keep making this many bad decisions and being this reckless with your spending and not have consequences. We, we've all seen the way the Premier League's improved over, over recent years. You know, we, I was at Goodison Park on Saturday and watched us against Aston Villa. You look at the quality in their squad and they're a bottom half team. You know, the, the league has got so many good sides in it now that if you stand, if you stand still, then you're going to get overtaken. And if you regress like Everton have done, you better be looking over your shoulder because you're going to be in serious, serious trouble. Yeah, and in fact, Everton's slide, Matt, reminds me a lot of what happened to Newcastle in the 2000s, which culminated, uh, and Mike Ashley gets a lot of blame, but he had just bought the club. Freddie Shepard had actually steered them into this, this morass where they were overspending. They bought a lot of veteran players, overpaid for guys that had been at big, big clubs, had been at Chelsea, uh, et cetera. And uh, they ended up being relegated. And, and the drift Everton is under right now, the last few seasons, reminds me a lot of Newcastle from about 2005 to 2009 when they were ultimately relegated. So that, that's where you might be headed. Yeah, and, and I never thought I'd say this about Everton, but we're at the comedy club in the Premier League now. You know, go back 10 years when we had David Moyes and, and you know, and Bill Kenwright, whatever you said about them, and, and those two were sort of the ones that were in charge of, of the ship. Yeah, I wanted to see Everton push on and be a bit more ambitious and, and challenge for, for trophies because I think as a fan, you always want, want to see your team take that next step. But I always used to look at those sides and, and think... You know, at least at least it's not like West Ham. At least it's not like Sunderland. At least it's not like Newcastle. You know, things could be a whole lot worse. And it's it's really grim that we've got to this position now, where I look at some of the decisions that that we've been making. You know, go back to that Luca Dean situation. Now, Everton sell him to Aston Villa. He plays at the weekend against against Everton. Has a, has a pretty good game. Sets up the goal. The two lads Everton signed with the money that they got from Luca Dean's sale weren't even in the squad. You know, that, that, is, that is the sort of thing that if you're a fan of another club and you look at it, you go, what on earth is going on there? That club is being so badly run. And Everton now are the, are the worst run team in this league. And I don't think that there's, there's any doubt about that. And that's, it just makes me quite sad, to be honest, that that's, that's where we've got to. And, you know, I mentioned the stadium earlier and, you know, we might have two or three years left at Goodison Park watching Everton. And, and I've been going there my whole life to watch Everton play. Had so many amazing moments there. We spent you know, time with friends, family there. It's such an important place for, for, for so many Evertonians. And it's going to be absolutely horrible when we walk out of there for the last time. But the sad thing for me is that this is the team that we've got for the last few years of this place. And this is the way the club's being run. Now, I, I look back at, at Tottenham's last season at White Hart Lane, where they were, they were unbelievable under Pochettino. West Ham's last season at Upton Park, where you know, they had Dimitri Payet and they had a, a really good team pushing them forward. and he beat United in that, that final game, that, that memorable night. Everton, Everton are nowhere near that. And it, it's, it's just quite grim that we're watching this set of players, this ownership and these managers steer the team through these final days of Goodison Park. And we're, we're going to walk out of there and we're going to say, 
you know, th- those those lads weren't fit to wear the shirt for these these final what should have been special years at this great old stadium. Kartik, I want to bring it back to fan involvement. I think one way that I mean, this is just a hypothetical, of course, that one of the solutions that Matt could bring up is, you know, bring a fan in because they're going to have the expectation and they're going to know what the club expects from its supporter groups. And I think an interesting uh, situation that's happening in the United States is actually over in Portland, where uh, Portland Timbers and Portland Thorns both both used to have a, a weekly meeting with their supporters groups to see, you know, what they want or what changes they might see. But due to certain controversies over there, they've actually stopped those meetings. And obviously the fan groups are uh, up in arms about that. Is there a certain benefit that bringing a fan into talk with executives and and those on the board, is there is there any benefit to that that could help the club develop and accomplish the goals of the of those looking in on the outside? Well, we know Manchester United recently had uh, had a meeting uh, with the supporters trust, and the situation's a little different in England, right? Um, in, in the U.S., you have clubs that are effectively they're called clubs, but they're not clubs in the traditional sense. Uh, Portland has a has a more robust supporters culture than most uh, U.S. clubs, even U.S. lower division clubs. And uh, I'm working on a separate project that that, uh, actually going to be jumping on to that in just a few minutes, uh, which is uh, related to supporters culture in lower division here in the U.S. And in a lot of those cases, you have these weekly meetings. But what Portland did is pretty rare uh, at the first division level in the United States, where you have uh, effectively an ownership group led by Merrick Paulson that meets with supporters and keeps them on side. Now, the cancellation of of that in the wake of all of the controversy around the thorns and all the controversy over Paul Riley and and, and what's been going on in NWSL uh, is a little alarming because if anything, we were hoping to see U.S. culture eventually, fan culture eventually evolve to where it is uh, in parts of Europe, parts of South America, when you look at the UK, when you look at England specifically, you've seen supporters have a huge impact in at Blackpool. You've had, seen supporters have a huge impact at Portsmouth in getting these teams sold, getting these teams back on their uh, on their feet. And in the US, you have a situation where you have ownership more and more, and and the people who run um, again, I, I, they're not clubs in the traditional sense, but the clubs in the United States moving further and further away from their supporters. And Portland was one example of where it was being done right. And they had an owner in Merrick Paulson, who I think was very conscientious of what supporters thought and what the culture was like uh, and public opinion was like among his, his, his fan base, his, his club's fan base on both the men's and women's side. And uh, it's a disturbing development, to say the least. Matt, I want to wrap up with you just with one quick question. It's just about fans there as a whole. What's next for the fans? Is it just more more protests, more more things of that nature? Is there other things that are, uh, up, you know, set up pretty much, or just what is the next step that these fans are trying to take to get more change? I think you'll probably see more scenes like we saw at the weekend. I think obviously there was a an initiative initially to try and get people to walk out of the stadium against Arsenal on the twenty seventh minute, and that didn't really work. I think a lot of people were were hesitant about walking out on the team effectively when Everton are in dire need of points. So the, the one at the weekend, I think, was was down more to, you know, after the game, do a bit of a sit-in. And it seemed to work a little bit better. The message obviously came across a lot more because you, know, you can see all the banners, people people are in there. There's, there's a lot more unity in regards to the song. So I think you'll see a lot more about, of that sort of thing. 
like I mentioned, I think a lot of this is now going to be geared towards Kiyosirabachin as well and his, his involvement at the football club. I think you'll see banners with his name on at the next few games. So but beyond that, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I think there'll be, I, I imagine there'll be supporters over the next few weeks getting their heads together in regards to what can be done next. But, you know, it, it feels a bit like a, a fruitless situation because Farhad Mashiri this week put another £100 million into the club um, and now his ownership, well, his ownership is totaling 94%. So he is very much, you know, the main person here. Um, Everton did announce this week a sort of fan advisory board that's going to be put in place at the end of the season, although that is made up from supporters groups that are officially affiliated with the football club, so it's not independent groups, so to say. So I think while some people have seen that as a positive step, some people have said maybe that's a little bit sceptical as well, that these are these are groups that are, are tied to the football club. But I think one of the other worrying factors is that it looks as though Everton are going to do away with their AGMs as well going forward. So there will not be a, a sort of a public forum where shareholders can get together in person and express concerns to to the owner and, and members of the board as well, which I think is a bit of a worry. So it feels like Farah Mashiri sort of shutting up shop a little bit from that point of view. So I don't know. I think fans are just going to continue to try and get the, the message out there, try and portray how poorly run this football club is and, and take it take it step by step. But um, I, can't, I can't imagine you're going to be seeing any less scenes like you, the ones you saw at the weekend at Goodison Park. Right, and Kartik, uh, just one last question for you as well. Just a, a continuation of what Matt was talking about. How effective do you think these uh, sort of protests and walkouts and banners can be in the long run, not only for Everton, but just in general? In general, they're very effective. As I said, Blackpool eventually uh, got the Orson family out. Uh, Pompey eventually found a great owner in Michael Eisner and, and, and the club stabilized. Uh, Newcastle, the process took longer. I'm not sure many of us are thrilled with who bought the club, but eventually Mike Ashley felt the need to sell the club. Uh, I think in the case of Everton, it's it's a little different. I think they just want competent leadership. Uh, Mushiri ha, has put a lot of investment into the club terms, as Matt mentioned, uh, some of his investment, more of his investment this past week into equity in the club. Uh, taking his ownership share up even higher. So I think Everton wants a competent, stable setup, which um, in theory should be able easier to affect than a, than a sale of a club uh, with, with fan participation, with supporter protests and supporter uh, supporters making their voices heard. We've seen it work at other clubs. I think ultimately, given the amount of uh, money Mashiri has put in, given how badly things have gone in, in the process of being advised by Kia Jirapshin, I think at some point he'll pull out of this, but will it happen before the club gets relegated and uh, you open a, a beautiful new stadium on the waterfront on Merseyside uh, in the championship? That's the big question right now. But I, I do think in time it'll pay off. All right, yeah, it should be uh, interesting to see where Everton goes from here. Uh, Kartik and Matt, I want to thank you both for coming on. Uh, make sure to check out Kartik at World Soccer Talk and also, as you all know, on the World Soccer Talk podcast. And Matt is also a frequent writer at World Soccer Talk and the host of the Blue Room podcast. So Kartik and Matt, thank you. You guys have a great rest of your day and thanks for coming on.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.